There's a Hindu proverb that names the three great mysteries as air to a bird, water to a fish, and mankind to himself. The idea is captured in an often told little story. Two young fish are swimming along when they meet an older fish swimming in the opposite direction. The older fish nods at them and says, Morning, boys. How's the water? The two younger fish swim on for a while until one looks at the other and says, What's water? It seems the greatest mysteries are not the things that are most distant to us, but the things that are closest, the things that support, sustain, and nourish us, the things that are everywhere and so are hard to see anywhere. Today is the first Sunday in the season of Epiphany. Epiphany means appearance, manifestation, or revelation. The season of Epiphany begins with our celebration on January 6th of the Magi's visit to Jesus. Then we have the baptism of our Lord, and the season will end with the transfiguration. Each of these moments in the story of Jesus' life gives us a brief glimpse into who this Jesus of Nazareth really is, the Son of God, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the beloved. They are all moments of revelation, moments in which the extraordinary is revealed to be present in the ordinary, moments in which heaven and earth blend one into the other. We see it in today's Gospel reading from Mark. The day begins like any other ordinary day for John the Baptist. Hundreds of people from the whole Judean countryside in the city of Jerusalem coming to be baptized, a line probably stretching as far as the eye can see. In the Gospel of Matthew, there seems to be some recognition by John of who Jesus is when Jesus comes to be baptized. John says to Jesus in Matthew, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Mark speaks of no such acknowledgement, saying only that Jesus was baptized by John. And while Jesus sees the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove, and Jesus hears the voice from heaven saying, You are my Son, the Beloved, with you I am well pleased, Mark is strikingly noncommittal as to whether anyone else present that day is privy to this amazing revelation. And so I have this image of Jesus taking his place in line, being baptized with other Judeans both before and after him, coming up out of the water and leaving the bank of the Jordan, those around him none the wiser about the radical occurrence right in their midst. This tends to be the way the evangelist Mark rolls. He sticks to the mundane. No genealogies, no romantic birth stories, no glamorous visits from wise men. Instead, we have the earthiness of camel hair clothes, locusts, wild honey, crowded venues, and Jesus of Nazareth, a man waiting in line with all the other men and women. The holy is known through the ordinary, so much so that the characters in the Gospel of Mark, even and maybe especially the disciples, risk missing it altogether. The holy is everywhere, and so it takes the chance of being recognized nowhere. This is why sacraments are so very important to the life of the church. We need them in order to recognize and name God's presence at work in the world. In the sacraments, the very ordinary elements of water, bread, wine, oil, and hands are named as instruments of God's grace. We ask the Holy Spirit to descend upon these concrete materials 
And these very ordinary things become the means through which the world can be transformed. The water of baptism brings us into the family of the church. The oil becomes a source of healing. The pressure of hands empowers us for certain kinds of ministry. And in the Eucharist, the bread and wine become for us the presence of Christ within us. Christ becomes part of our very own body. It's a transformation that in turn allows us to become Christ's body, broken and given for the life of a world that longs for reconciliation, love, healing, and acceptance. In the sacraments, the mystery of God's grace and love that is in fact everywhere becomes focused in this one place so that we can recognize it, name it, and know ourselves to be transformed by it. But we make a mistake if we think these ordinary things are only signs of God's grace once we explicitly ask the Holy Spirit to sanctify them. Because as part of God's own creation, these ordinary objects are already blessed, sustained by, and shot through with God's presence and grace. In the first chapter of Genesis, the wind or spirit from God sweeps over the deep. The very act of creation is nothing less than God's grace extended toward informing everything that is. All of creation exists and continues to exist at each moment only through God's grace, even though we often fail to see it. Like the fish doesn't recognize the water in which it swims and the bird fails to know the air in which it flies. We tend to get so caught up in whether God created out of nothing or out of pre-existent material, whether God created in a literal seven-day period or whether Darwin's explanation of evolution can account for the ever-changing diversity we see. But these debates miss the heart of the matter. For as one of my professors so beautifully says, creation is not an event, but a relationship. Creation is not an event, but a relationship. Our very existence is a pronouncement of God's love, the result of the Holy Spirit at work in us and for us from the very beginning. As it's been said, you don't have to be baptized to be a beloved child of God. All you have to do is be born. That is enough. This morning, we celebrate the baptism of Odessa Jean Knight. Just as Jesus is proclaimed as God's beloved before he braves the temptations in the wilderness or heals those around him or dies on the cross or is raised to new life, Odessa Jean is already beloved by God before anything she does or earns or becomes. She is already a child of God, the work of the Holy Spirit. She is already a sacrament made of flesh and blood and bones and skin, a means through which we and the whole world will come to know something of the grace and love of God. But today, through the water of baptism, she will become a part of Christ's one holy Catholic Church. She will be anointed with oil, marked as Christ's own forever. And as she grows, we in this community, along with her family, will watch for how the Holy Spirit at work in and with and through her will transform the world. And as we celebrate Odessa Jean's baptism this morning, we also remember our own. We are reminded of who we are and who we have always been, the beloved. 
It's a truth that's hard to recognize in a world that tells us we have to earn love, search outside ourselves for the sacred, and use only the proven, already laid paths in order to make the world a better place. Baptism goes against so much that we assume is true about the world. A priest, Bob Stuhlman, wrote this post on his blog. He wrote, We do baptisms to try to make visible what is already existent eternal truth, that each one is a beloved and cherished child of God. Did Jesus or John intend for his baptism to be the one, the only manifestation of the divine? Or like the water that poured down the Jordan River from the mountains, might he have intended that we all become conscious of our divine connection? And yet we are neither gods nor angels. We are sanctified vessels into which the world is poured, all its truths and lies, tragedies and comedies, failures and victories, hatreds and loves. How we keep and nurture our brave and full humanity in the midst of the world began with those words whispered to us at our birth, You are my beloved. Our ability to risk being who we most fully are in all our particularity and all our messiness and all our holiness begins with remembering these words, You are my beloved. When those words seep into the deepest part of us, the veil is lifted and we know the truth, that the Holy Spirit is never absent from us. It is sustaining us, enfolding us, transforming us, and through us changing the world just by our presence. Our very flesh and blood is nothing less than a sacrament. Knowing this deep down is an epiphany that comes to us as both a gift and a challenge. It's a gift because God's grace is given to us without any preconditions. And it's a challenge because our call is to let that grace be made manifest through us to a broken and hurting world. A world that like a fish oblivious to water and a bird oblivious to air so often fails to recognize the love of God in which it is completely and utterly immersed.